Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the sign-off of Frameworth Podcast for yet another week, and I am joined in studio by the one, the only, the president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. It is Brian Aaronworth. Uh, the sign-off podcast, it's the podcast where we tell you about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing, uh, and kind of an interesting guest this week that we're going to get into in a little bit, but before then, we've been mentioning week in, week out, uh, that if you're a fan of the podcast and you've been listening, uh, all of your support really tremendously helps us, especially if you go leave us an iTunes review. If you're not subscribed already, make sure to go and do so. Uh, we have a new review that came in. I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to that. I know that as a little ego stroke, you well, like you to peruse the reviews. You send me that because I'm technically challenged. So of course, of course. But you'll find a way. As long as it's someone saying good things about you, you'll you'll take the time to, to say it. Uh, Canucks fan 53 Awesome podcast is the title. Five stars. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Mikey. Hey, thank you. Really gives a deep dive into the behind the scenes of one of the greatest sports memorabilia companies out there. You can take credit for that one, Dad. If you love good hockey stories and behind the scenes talks, this is a must listen. Uh, we've been saying it week in, week out uh, that eventually we're going to start to go through the reviews section and at random, not only read the review on the episode, but we're going to send the person who has left the review a little bit of a gift. Now, if you are truly a Canucks fan, I'm sure you'll appreciate uh, Niels Hoaglander puck, which we're going to be sending out to you signed puck. So make sure to reach out to us. CanucksFan53, sign off pod at frameworth.com, and uh, we'll get that sent out to you as soon as we can. Thank you once again so much for your support. And if you want to be uh, uh, there and potentially get some prizing for yourself, make sure to go over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. We'll read it online, a little bit of a shout out to yourself, and maybe you'll even win something in, in the meantime. Now, uh, without further ado, uh, our guest who has been waiting so patiently as we uh, stroke our egos a little bit here. Um, this week, we are talking to someone who straddles the worlds of sports and music, much like ourselves. He's worked with artists such as Queen. Metallica, Motley Crue, Coldplay, Jay-Z, The Weeknd, one of my favorites, and is currently the head of industry relations for Live Nation Canada while still finding time to guest host on the Jim Rome show. He's also famous for throwing the best parties during the NHL All-Star Games. You may know him been by the name. Many. What's that? I've been to many. We've been to many. Not that we remember, but we've Never been to some. Never missed Joey's party. You may know him by the name Joey Vendetta, but his friends call him Joey Scalari. Joey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us here. Excited to get to uh, get you in the studio and, and talk, although it is a, a virtual studio, as most of them are these days. You have so much experience in this industry, and uh, one of the things that we face often, you know, as someone, uh, a company that, that refers to ourselves as a sports marketing company, is the fact that people often wouldn't assume that the worlds of sports and music intersect, and, and they do for you, which I do want to talk about in a little bit, but I mentioned in, in your introduction, Joey Scolari and Joey Vendetta, two kind of personalities that you have do you have a preference as to which one you go by and uh and do you kind of put on a different hat when you become one over the other no well one is my real name and one is a radio name that i had since i started back in 1987 at q107 and that was the radio name back then they asked you to get a radio name to kind of protect your identity from people finding out where you lived and your identity it was pre-internet so Radio and television and print were much more important. There was no internet. There was no TikTok. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. So everyone didn't have their own brand. There was a distinct, I guess, difference between the public and the media. Well, right. now everyone's in the media, right? You, you guys have a podcast. So yeah. you wouldn't have had a podcast 30 years ago. You wouldn't have had a radio show 30 years ago. But 
user-generated content allows anybody to plug a microphone into their computer and have a podcast or open up a, a social media account and have a brand. Hate so to say it, I didn't even I have had, I didn't yeah. even have a computer 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's I think it's pretty simple in that you have a media personality and you have your professional personality in my case and that's you know one of one of the names was used again for kind of anonymity and identity protection also a little bit of showbiz i mean yeah look you 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 know prince not to compare myself to prince but that's <laughs> not his real that's not his real name madonna's not her real name mm-hmm. shares not her real name right I, so if people people use names for their showbiz persona and i guess that's why i used mine that's fair. I mean, it is so interesting to to get that perspective, especially in the sense that it, it, like you said before, it was almost like if you put yourself in the public eye, one thing you wanted to do was make sure you were protected by not having people know who you actually were. Now, if you want to be in the public eye, you have to be in the public eye as yourself. There is no breaking between your public personality and your personal life. It's almost like those two intersect completely. I mean, you've been in, in, in this, as you said, since the 80s. Uh, did you get your start? Was it always radio? Because I know, you know, as I went through in the credits, you've, you've worked in the music industry for, for quite a long time. Uh, now with Live Nation, you were with uh, uh, Disney uh, in the past as well. Were you, were you always thinking about getting involved in, in music and entertainment from a business perspective? Or did you just find a, kind of find yourself there after having worked in, in the radio business for so long? No, I started uh, taking journalism at Ryerson. And then I wrote an article in the school paper on Q107 and the guys who ran the station at the time, a guy named Bob Makowitz and then John Derringer, who's still on the air there, liked me. And they gave me a chance to do some student concert reviews on a show called the Six O'Clock Rock Report, which was an extremely popular show. And I ended up co-hosting it later on. But that that's how I got my start. And, you know, I, I was always into music and hard rock. And I ended up posting the heavy metal show when I was 20 years old on Q107 while I was going to Ryerson. And then right. I quit school and took a job there for $4 and 30 cents an hour. And Bob Mackowitz <laughs> wrote me a, wrote me a letter saying, I hope you make the most of this golden opportunity. And I like to think that I did. I actually framed that letter and I still have it to remind me of where I came from. I think it's important to remember where, where I was, you come from, but I, was I, I never say, had any, uh, I never had any real career plan. Like a lot of people map out their career. I just kind of let it roll and it happened as it happened. Now, uh, I, I like that you bring that up the, uh, the, the signed letter. Cause I was going to say, you know, that, that is exactly the kind of thing that you would, you would frame up. Bob McCowan had a similar story about taking a, a very low paying job just to get himself on air, knowing that eventually it would get him to where he needs to be. And, and it was fascinating in that sense as well. Uh, just because you brought this up, the idea of, of, of framing something, you know, we are kind of a, a collectibles company, a sports mm-hmm. marketing company. Yeah. You is guys that, actually frame the letters. So there, uh, there we go. Yeah. So we, I, I was going to say, we know. I always hesitate can, to ask. That just in case we just didn't. in case we don't we don't want to make no, it you, awkward uh, listen brian as long as you keep giving me the fa- favorable rates that you do <laughs> you will always frame everything we go our friendship goes back a long way joey long so time always long, long time yes have you found yourself involved in the world of collectibles otherwise or is it more just personal mementos that you uh that you you find uh, a taking to yeah i just have stuff that i've accumulated i mean look i've been in music and entertainment for a long time. So you, you accumulate things over the course of your 
of your life. And you, I mean, then look, the things that mean something are things like the letter I just described and uh, the, but I have tons of gold records that I've received over the years for, for supporting artists from when I was in radio and you get, and you get plaques and you get poster signed. I mean, you know, I have a poster in my office right now from Coldplay signed for helping to do the grand opening of Climate Pledge Arena, which is in Seattle. Coldplay played the show on a Friday night, and then the Kraken played their first game on Saturday. So I have that in my office. You know, I have a I have a, a Brian Adams Diamond Award for waking up the neighbors from 1992 that Bruce Allen and Brian gave me. Brian gave it to me on stage at Molson Park in Barrie wow. in 1992 during his performance because it was – that album didn't qualify as Canadian content because of the way the songwriting credits were distributed between Brian Adams and Mutt Lang. And Mutt Lang is a famous producer. He was married to Shania Twain. And he he co-wrote a lot of the record with Brian. But the way the system works is you have to have music, artist, production, lyrics. There's four parts. And you have to have two of those parts. But they split the the music and the lyrics 50 50 and then the production was Mutt Lang and the artist was Brian. So Brian had one part Canadian and then he had two halves, but they didn't add up the two halves to make a whole. And you had to have two of four to qualify. Wow. So during the, during the listening, we, we were at a, rec- at a studio listening to the album before it came out myself, Bruce and Peter Howell actually from the Toronto star. Yep. And we were in the studio and I said to Bruce, Bruce, you know, this isn't Canadian content. And he said, what? And I said, yeah, it doesn't qualify as Canadian content. He said, what are you talking about? And I explained what I just explained to you about how you need to have two of four parts, but you need holes, not two halves. They don't make a hole the way the, the way that the, the system worked at the time. I don't know if it's changed to be quite honest with you, but it, it may have because, because of that. But anyway, I, brought that up and then Peter Howell put it on the front page of the Toronto star. And the headline was Brian Adams un-Canadian. And <laughs> so it became a big kind of big story at the time. And Bruce and Brian, when the album, you know, it was the biggest album of his career, right? Because it, it didn't matter whether he, he qualified as Canadian content or not. The songs were great. And he was obviously huge and it was the biggest point of his career, I believe. And they gave me this diamond award. So there's, so this thing's sitting in my office and I'm looking at it and it has a story behind it that I just told you. So those are the, you know, the things that mean something. I, I have a signed Brian May guitar signed by Brian Ooh. May, Roger Taylor. That's right up my Queen, alley. And, 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 and actually the singer, Paul Rogers, who was in bad company. And, um, he, you know, he, um, he was in queen for a little while. And the, you know, the story behind that is I worked with them when I was at Hollywood Records. Right. And, um, and he, Paul didn't, like, Paul wasn't Freddie Mercury. He was more, um, who was though, more right? of a I mean, muscular yeah. singer. Sure. Um, you know, and, but I, but I worked with them in one of my favorite moments with, with those guys is, I was with Paul in Memphis and we were waiting to do a radio interview on Sirius XM. And we were sitting in a little studio at a recording studio. It was a remote interview. 
and Paul starts playing um, Bad Company, the song, the song Bad Company. We're in this little studio, little room, like a closet almost, and there's a piano in there. And Paul sits down at the piano and he just starts playing. He goes, you want me to play a song? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And so Paul Rogers, who wrote and recorded the song Bad Company by Bad Company, is serenading me with the song Bad Company <laughs> on the piano while we're waiting to do this interview. So while he's a part of Queen. Yeah, while he's a part of Queen. <laughs> you know, so 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 you it I mean you have all this experience that we mentioned in in uh, in your intro there Queen was there Metallica Motley Crue Coldplay Jay-Z you mentioned Brian Adams and and there are a ton of others. Yeah, there's tons more. Yeah, tons more of course. Now when you're when you're starting out cuz you're 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 a radio host and you're kind of trying to get your feet uh, uh, wet in that industry after you had left, left school and make a career out of it. What was the thing that kind of shifted you from an on-air personality to thinking, I'm going to work directly with these bands and artists and try to make something of it? What were those first steps? How did those take place? Well, I got fired from Q107. So that was pretty much, that was pretty much the reason. I, but you were time, clearly liked by enough people there. or, or Yeah, that I mean, tons with. of connections. I mean, yeah. tons of connections. Like, I always just try to do what's right as opposed to what I think is going to, is going to make me money. And yeah. so I made so many connections in the U S and one of my closest friends is a guy who now manages the black crows three doors down counting crows and a really good young rock band named dirty honey that the lead singer is actually a buddy. And we played hockey together in LA with, when I lived in LA, I lived in LA for 20 years with Jerry Bruckheimer's crew. Hmm. So this kid, Mark LaBelle, really good hockey player, but he's the lead singer of this band, Dirty Honey now. And they had number one rock track on the, on the radio charts in the U S without having a record deal. They're the only band in history to have done that. Oh, wow. Um, so Mark Didia, my dear friend, he knew me from when I was at Q107 cause I would play his records. He was the head of rock promotion for Geffen records back when Geffen records had everything from White Snake to Andrew Dice Clay to Elton John to Peter Gabriel to Don Hanley. They were the hottest label in the world. They yeah. were owned by David Geffen. And we became close friends. And then when I, you know, Q107 at the time, I was doing afternoons. And then they brought management in, these people who were, ran a radio station in Hamilton. And then they ran both Q107 and the station in Hamilton. And, and you know, frankly, they ran it like it was Hamilton. And they didn't mm. run it like it was Toronto. And right. I, I kind of butted heads with them because I – I wasn't interested in the way that they were treating the station and, uh, and I ended up leaving and uh, I got paid out and they tried, you know, the, the great story is they tried to, they tried to shaft me on my severance and I have another, I'm, I'm very lucky and I have a lot of really, really, really good friends who uh, I have relationships with as, you know, as Brian alluded to. And another dear friend of mine, who's a top lawyer at McCarthy's, which is the biggest firm in Canada. And he, he wrote a demand letter because they constructively dismissed me. They tried to pay me on, on what they thought I had signed a contract for, but I never signed the contract. So they huh. gave me this pay reduction. And these, so they tried to shaft me when they, when they kind of pushed me out the door and long story short, he wrote them a demand letter and then they tried to fight it. And then I said, do you have a signed contract for me? And they, and of course we do. You signed the contract. They looked at it and I'd never signed it. Huh. And they never followed up. So they had to pay me basically a year and a half salary, which, you know, they didn't want, they wanted to pay me like a third of that. Right. And so it's just, you know, people sometimes don't do the right thing 
And I've always just been one of those people who is you treat people well and you do the right thing and you end up doing well. But anyway, I, I ended up getting Mark Dedia, uh, my friend who manages all these bands, he ended up running Hollywood Records. He had years of experience at record companies in the U.S. And he brought me down to be the head of of rock promotion at the time for Hollywood Records, which Hollywood Records is owned by Disney. Right. Didn't have a lot of success. It was kind of a bit of a laughing stock in the music industry. And I went down there and became the head of rock promotion. And we had a bunch of bands that, you know, we couldn't get on the radio and we worked to get some better artists. And we worked to, they had Queen at the time, but you know, Freddie, Freddie had passed away and Queen was kind of passe at the time. And sure. people don't remember it. No one cared about Queen. Yeah. They went no up and down quite a bit in their career. Right? No, no one cared about them. Okay. They didn't mean much in the U S anymore. You would never think it now after the movie and the, right. and the successes right. and every second TV commercial, my buddy does the music licensing for Hollywood. And I texted him the other day because I said, can you license another Queen song for a TV commercial? Because it's every second commercial <laughs> has a Queen song. Because they're tr- listen, their their qua- their catalog. Another friend of mine named Merc Mercuriatus. Uh, Mercuriatus. He he's a Canadian guy. He helped manage Iron Maiden, and he ran a big lab- uh, label management company called Sanctuary. He has a music publishing fund called Hypnosis. Okay, and he's raised several billion dollars, and he's bought the catalogs for Neil Young, Journey, all these other artists. Because music publishing is massive, and. And so anyway, uh, that's why Queen is licensing all their songs now because they're making so much money in music licensing and, and they're, you know, they're, they're getting older, right? And, right. and they want to make as much money as they can before they pass away for their, for their state. Of course. So, so does Hollywood still have the rights for their songs? To, yeah, to- yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Hollywood Records has Queen's catalog and, wow. and they've monetized it incredibly well. And, you know, I- it's, 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 it's. It's it's a gift that keeps on giving if you have an artist that has. I mean, look, Bob Dylan sold his for what was it, three hundred million? Yeah, he just sold his catalog for three hundred million. I so, think the Red Hot Chili Peppers just sold theirs as well, not too long ago. Yeah, it's, all the artists are monetizing yeah, it now, yeah. right? So it makes I, I a do, lot of sense. I want to go back a little bit uh, and and use your uh, uh, the 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 kind of butting heads that you had with Q one hundred seven when when uh, you had left them as sort of a, a jumping off point because you know you're throwing these names out, Queen, like these names that a lot of people uh, would treat as as massive idols of theirs, you know, the, the kind of person and, and you and I, dad, we've been to signings when people meet their idols, they usually got the shaky hands. They got the, yeah, I don't care. Balls. I, I, I don't care. <laughs> and I it must, care. I mean, it must've been from cared. an early I've, age. I've never cared. I've, I've, the first experience I had was a celebrity was uh, this guy named Wayne Tweed was the bass player for smoking. Robinson was walking yeah. down young street one day. I was 16 years old. I see this big black dude with long fingers and, me and my buddy are walking and the guy starts talking to us and we have long hair and he asked him where he could get some weed. And, <laughs> and my buddy's like, he's a, he's a cop. And he was wearing a baseball cap. I'm like, he's not a cop. I go, I go, who are you? He goes, I'm the bass player for Smokey Robinson. And I said, and I said, okay. And we, we brought him with us and we went and helped him get some weed. And then, <laughs> and then we went backstage and at the Ontario place, Smokey Robinson was playing at Ontario place. And, he brought us backstage and all these session guys for Smokey started smoking this like skunk weed from Jane and Finch, which if you don't know, <laughs> Toronto is kind of a, is the hood. And um, these guys were all freaking out because they hadn't smoked this Jamaican skunk weed for like 30 years or something. So that was my 
This is before they went Smokey. on stage. This is before yeah, they went before, on stage. Yeah, yeah. And then they said, "Must I have been met, a good We met Smokey. He's like, "Hey, Smokey, this is." And he introduced me to me and my buddy to Smokey. He gave us backstage passes. We were sixteen years old. Oh wow! And we weren't. We weren't like there was no in awe of the celebrity. There was no. Oh my God! I just met Smokey Smokey Robinson. It was. I've always just treated people like other people, and even when I got to know all the celebrities that I do, if they're dicks, I don't care that they're yeah. a celebrity. I just hey. care that they're a dick. And so, so <laughs> and so I would have people on that were my friends. People say, oh, you do great interviews. You know, I, I would have whatever, Jonathan Taves on or Chris right. Martin from Coldplay, people, right. I, people I know, and they say things that they wouldn't say with anybody else because I know them and they trust me and I don't try to make people look bad. Right. And right. so, you know, whether it's, whether it's Sidney Crosby, who obviously, you know, Brian, you've had a relationship with for years, but I met Sidney when he played for Ramuski and I played pickup hockey with him and I'm friends with him to this day because I like him. He's a nice guy. Well, you and know? they yeah, trust he, you too. Yeah, he's just saying, yeah, and he trusts me and he knows if he tells me something or texts me something, I'm not going to flip it to somebody with a screenshot saying, oh my God, look at what Sidney Crosby just sent me. Right. Yeah, like, right. who cares? I mean, so that, that's, that relationship. That's what it's that you, about. Yeah. You, developing those relationships seems integral, right? I, just, I mean, that, that seems. I just want to go because you mentioned you were 16 years old, got a backstage pass. Was that your first one, Joey? Yeah, yeah. That was the first time we'd ever been back. We didn't so, even know what backstage was. And we were, I wasn't at the Smokey <laughs> Robinson. I was at the Black Sabbath. Sure, sure, like, right. Uh, but, it just happened that this guy wanted some weed. And we were like, sure, we'll help you. And then he's like, come, come backstage. We're. I played bass for Smokey Robinson, and That's I believed amazing. him. And my buddy thought he was a liar, and he thought he was a cop. <laughs> so the first thing I'm thinking is that's your first backstage pass, and I had the privilege of reviewing Joey's collection of backstage passes. They are incredible. Like he's got, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of them. I don't know. Yeah, t- I've saved everything. You know, I've saved, I've saved every ticket, every every backstage pass because at some point. Um, we're going to do gonna something put, with them. You're going to put, you're going to put them in a book for me, Brian. Yep. So, but it's, yeah, you, those are, those are mementos that you look back. Here's the craziest part. I literally don't remember 85% of the things I've done. I literally, <laughs> now, is that because of that remember. skunk weed or is that just well, because no, you, no, this no. is the sixties and seventies, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was just, you know what, when you do so many things in your life and again, not, it's not bragging. I think your brain just has so much capacity to remember certain things. Right. You know, I'll, t- I'll have friends say to me, man, I, you know, remember that time when you, when you took us to see the Rolling Stones at the Palais Royale and I'll right. say, no, I have no, I do have a recollection of that walking in and I recall walking up to the stage. I don't remember the show. I do remember seeing the Stones at the Phoenix concert theater. I vaguely remember seeing them at the horseshoe because I saw them at the horseshoe. What but I don't have vivid, there? detailed memories like seeing, you know, I remember seeing Van Halen in 1981 on the Fair Warning Tour because I'm a huge, you know, I, I was I got to be friends with with Eddie Van Halen. But but that was one of those concerts that stood out in my in my life because it was important to me at the time. And right. so but I have tickets for so many Van Halen concerts and I don't remember most of them. I don't remember tons of the concerts I went to. And that's because there's a, a compression, a compression um, of, of, I guess the events that you have, if you have, if you have a ton of events, there's only so much you can remember. That's why I have all these passes because I look at them, you know, the MTV awards or seeing Pearl jam 
you know, do something for VH1 or Foo Fighters, do storytellers. I was at all these things. And I mean, those, all those, I don't remember them all, all those stories that you have. One thing I, we mentioned in the introduction is, is one of the things that we struggle to remember are all of the, uh, the parties that you've thrown at the NHL all-star games. So, I mean, you, you talk about music and all the relationships you, you developed there, but you're also, you've been heavily involved in the realm of sports as well. At what point, did those kind of cross over and intersect? I, I, I know, I know that you know within with with uh, radio, there's a ton of sports involved as well. It may just be entertainment because you're you're dealing with these sorts of people. But um, how did you become the person to whom everyone turns when there's a major party to go to surrounding the NHL? What 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 shifted that? And then what was your involvement in sports uh, uh, to get you there in the first place? Well, the hockey players, and not just hockey players, but all. All athletes love music and a lot of musicians love athletics. So there's that crossover and they, they like hanging out with each other. I mean, you've seen it over and over, right? I don't, I don't need to explain that, but you know, and as far as the, as far as me throwing these parties, you know, when the NHL all-star game was in LA in the early two thousands, it might've been 2000, there was, People went, oh well, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? And we just threw this party on a Friday night at the Key Club in LA that was owned by partially owned by Pat Brisson, who's a hockey agent who right. you guys know. Yeah. And well. so it was Jerry Bruckheimer and Pat, myself, and we threw this party at the Key Club because they owned uh, Pat owned a little piece of it and the guys that owned the Key Club were friends of ours and we were able to get the place for free and we threw this crazy party. It was out of control. It was like that was the first time I ever met Ilya Kovalchuk. It was the first time I met Joe Thornton because they were 20 years old. They, they, I don't think they were playing in the all-star game. They were playing in the young guns game or something. Yeah. You know, and the, the party was on a Friday night and the game was Saturday at noon. <laughs> Players were a disaster. And <laughs> it's you know, another behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. No people don't one, realize in the first period, there was not one pass completed tape to tape. <laughs> they were hitting each other off the back of the head. You know, Fedorov was Fedorov, uh, Fedorov was um, was cursing me because I was sitting on the glass, and this was before I got sober. I hadn't sleep, slept the whole night, <laughs> and I was sitting on the glass with my friend Mark's daughter. I took her to the game, and like I, I, I'm sitting on the glass, and Fedorov skates over and with his butt end hits the glass, and he says, "You fucking asshole!" He mouths that to me, and you know Dominic Hasek was passed out on a table. It was a disaster, well, and so. The next year, guys, just like we were, I think the next year was in Dallas. I don't even remember where it was, but, you know, a couple, it might have not even have been the next year because I didn't throw one in Boston. It might have been Boston the next year. But then after that, we were in Dallas and I just found a, a place to go and it was kind of unofficial. And that was it might have been a few years later, because I do remember that was when Kopitar, who I'm still friends with, you know, you know from being in L.A. and yep. he. He won the cup, and that was a, having a great year it's, this it's, year it's, too. It's, it's, yeah, it's was, great to see him. It's great to be in a city when you live in a city and they win the Stanley Cup. Because oh, when you're a Leaf fan, you're never going to see that. So, <laughs> or, or hopefully you will, but you haven't yet. Soon. And yeah, but anyway, Kopitar was 18, and I was having a party at the at the W at the hotel. hotel. Upstairs. Yeah, the W. Yeah, yeah, and he couldn't get up. Either could Sidney Crosby. They yeah, tried yeah, to but, back. I was there too. And they but tried I got to Kopitar get up. I got Kopitar up. I got him fake ID. I got Patrick <laughs> Kane fake ID. The best one was Patrick Kane in Vegas, standing at the door of Tau, 
and he's like wearing flip flops and he looks like he's 12 and he's and, and everyone's going into the party and he's like, I can't get into the party. And I say to him, OK, I'll get you in. And I see some kid who kind of looks like him. And I'm like, kid, do you know who that is? I go. He goes, yeah, that's Patrick Kane. I go, oh, how do you know that? He goes, oh, I play hockey at the University of Michigan. I'm here for the all star weekend. I go, give me your ID. And he gives me his ID and I give it to Patrick Kane. And Patrick Kane, I get him in the party with this kid's fake ID. And then I give this kid his ID back and I go, give me your address and Kane's going to send you a jersey. And then I texted Kane like two months later, hey, did you ever send that kid the jersey? And he said, oh, no, I forgot. And I like flipped on him. I'm like, oh. you asshole. He gave you his ID. So then he ended up sending the kid the jersey. But oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah there was you a know couple what he of did? guys who couldn't get in and we would snuck, sneak him in. He, he, he phoned me because we had an exclusive with him at the time. Right. And he said, send this jersey off. So he never, none <laughs> he of the did, guys right? did anything. Right. He and did, then, right? You remember that? I, you know, that party was one of the first big parties that I went to with you. Like you set the tone to yeah. get the parties change because the all-star game was a pretty serious thing for a long time oh I mean, yeah when look at Gretzky what he did and on the records and that now it's now it's more just a fun time for everyone but that party I remember two things about it one we were sitting there upstairs I was with Pat Brisson a bunch of guys and they tried to get Sydney up through the back thing and they wouldn't let him in that was one and you couldn't get well, him but, I guess if a uh, fake no ID. Well, no one told me I don't think because, no you would have done Kobe, it because Kopi, I got in like right in. I, I don't even remember how. I, I just brought him up and they and they let him in. So and the second but, one though, Joey was was this was a cool story from my point of view. Uh, Pat Brisson introduced me to this guy and he says his name's Rody. So I said, uh, "Where are you from?" And he said, "Toronto." Oh, I said, "Really? I'm from Toronto." He said, "Where'd you grow up?" He says, oh, "A place you wouldn't know. It. It's called Bathurst Manor." And I said, well, what do you do? He says, well, I produce all sorts yeah, of Michael, TV. Yeah, Michael Rotenberg. Michael Rotenberg. Yeah, I played hockey I, with him. He was years. my best friend in grade three, four, and five. We we grew up together. I moved from the neighborhood. He moved down to Hollywood with uh, 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 Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel, yeah, yeah, yeah. And became one of the biggest producers. In, and we were best friends, so we kind of reminisced. That was such an unbelievable, and I sent him. Oh, he wanted funny. a Sidney Crosby jersey. I sent him one of those too. Yeah, it's amazing oh, how those great. worlds. Of that was your party. They 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 intersect yeah. like that. I I've I've been lucky enough to have gone to to a few of those. Um, and and it makes sense now. Like you you hear your uh, like head of industry relations with Live Nation Canada. When 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 you hear that industry relations is that does that mean relations between your some of your your artists and the end like what 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 is involved there is it kind of this management of personalities or or is there something more that goes on behind the scenes it's basically you talk to everybody and then you find things that fit into your business and you put people together and you help create opportunities that benefit both parties that's that's basically what what, I do. what were some of the ideas that you've had after having spoken to two different parties that came together that everyone would know or a lot of people would know but may not have credited you for because you were kind of behind the scenes making uh pulling all the strings um Coldplay at Climate Pledge Arena which was streamed on Amazon to help launch the Coldplay tour I put that together with the manager and Tim Lywicki who used to be the head of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment he right. wanted a big band to open his building and there was an opportunity with Amazon. And so I helped put that together and we put the Coldplay tour on sale and it blew out 
every I mean, they sold six nights out at Wembley Stadium. That's four hundred and fifty thousand tickets. That's crazy. So it's crazy. I'm sure they would have done. I'm sure they would have done fine without the uh, the Amazon look. But the fact that they were able to perform in Climate Pledge Arena and be on Amazon Prime around the world probably didn't hurt matters. Well, I I think also I've never seen a better network networking guy than Joey. I mean, right. I, if I ask him about anything, he's got a contact either directly, indirectly, but he'll find a way to get to somebody, which we work together a little bit um, from time to time. If I need a connection or something, he might uh, help me uh, get in touch with somebody. And it's a great relationship we've had, but I've never seen anybody that knows so many people, right. which is why, you know, um, you know, you talk about the sports crossover and, and, and you know, and the music sports relationship if a hockey player needs to meet a uh, a musician, Joey can do that in a heartbeat. Right. So those things, that's how you build all those relationships in both in both uh, genres. Joey p- playing the role as the uh, as the matchmaker across two <laughs> industries. I, I kind of like it. It's uh, like the sports and music bachelor. <laughs> exactly. Give, handing wow. out roses. Handing out roses as they yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe dropping roses, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> um, you currently? Uh, do you still guest host on the Jim Rome show? Is that that's still uh, in no, your no? I, I don't do that anymore because the because you have to do it on. You have to be there in the studio because it's a TV program as right. well. Right. So since I moved back to Canada, it was just one of those scenarios where it just it didn't make sense anymore. But yeah, and I don't do the radio stuff anymore. It's just. You know, I, I've subscribed to the theory that if you work for a, if you work for a company, that they should they should back you unless you do something egregious. Right. But too many media companies now kiss too many asses, and I'm not interested. Yeah. Do you do you miss? I mean, apart from the the politics involved in in everything that surrounds working at a, at a broadcasting network, do you miss being on air? Is that is that something like? No. If, if, oh, you don't? No. Eh? No. No. You got that out of your all. system. Not at all. I did it for years. You know, I mean, I worked at Q107 and I, I'd been on the Jim Rome show and I've been on Sportsnet and no, I don't miss it at all, to be quite honest with you. I thought yeah. I would, but I don't at all. Hey, Joey, you were living in L.A. for quite some time and then you moved back here. Um, just a thought, because I always loved L.A., although a lot of people are moving out of there now for even uh, what's going on with the weather on top oh, yeah. of everything yeah. and how woke they are. But um What's the difference? Do you like it better here or there? What, how, what's your feeling? Yeah, I like on? it better here. My family's here and my childhood friends are here and I still have all my friends there and I can go visit any time. But it's a very isolated city on many levels. And even though you have friends, you can go months and months without seeing them. Whereas being in Toronto, I just it's it's just much more engaging for me. Yeah, That's all. Yeah. So, no, I don't miss it there. I had Listen, I had a 20-year run, man. You can't nothing lasts forever. And I, I have a place in Florida and if I need to get out of the cold, I can it's pretty easy to get on a plane and get out of the cold. I hear you. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I'm interesting to hear that, that, you know, the, the, the radio isn't something that, that you miss, but it makes sense. I mean, for someone who has the relationships that you have, you know, the equivalent of doing an interview on air is just talking to the friends that you have who eventually are, or who would end up being the people you'd be interviewing anyway. Do you still keep in touch in the same capacity with the people that who would be coming on, uh, on the, on the radio? Is that, uh, you know, just keeping, keeping your feet in the industry that way? Well, I mean, my friends are my friends. I talk to whoever I, you know, have occasion to speak to. So uh, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, talk to the people that were quote unquote insiders, which I find is the funniest term ever. 
Right. Insiders. Inside what? In your head's inside your ass is what you're an insider <laughs> on. But I just, I don't talk to, you know, a lot of the, the people that are non guys that were, were acquaintances. Sure. You know, Ryan Dempster is a good example. I pitched for the Cubs and pitched for the Red Sox and he's Canadian. And I actually met him playing hockey in LA, oddly enough. Uh, and, and he is, a, he's great on the air and he's great on TV. And I've had him on my show a bunch and I still text him and still talk to him, you know, probably not as much, but yeah, but a lot of other people, you don't talk, look, you, you, you don't talk to everybody that you've known no, of course, your whole life. There Whether they're famous that or not, that's just not that's realistic. Right. That's yeah. just the way yeah. it works, right? No, but you know what? There's another thing too, and it kind of relates to me picking up the phone and calling Joey and saying, right. hey, look, can you help us out here? Um, it's kind of, it's flattering to me, or it makes me feel really good that I can pick up the phone, call you, and you don't have a problem helping us out with a podcast because we thought you'd be a great guest. And I'm amazed at how often that happens. I called Darren Farish yesterday, player agent for Mitch Marner and a few other guys, big names, um, Gus Bedelli. When you make the phone call and it's just, yeah, we'll have Jerry Dion in, a, in next month. And for you, it's it's exponential compared to me. Although, And I think what you said earlier really kind of resonates with me, which is if you treat people well over the years and you build good relationships – um, when I ask for a favor for somebody to come on the podcast and they say yes without without thinking about it, and the same with you, it really does make you feel good that you've you've done the right things over the years, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm listen. Treat people well, and they treat you well. Life life short, and you don't know the measurement of success of your life uh, unless you're going to be looking down from heaven and watching your funeral. That's the that's the measurement of your success is. How many people show up at your funeral? That's, right. that's pretty much it. So, yeah. if and you were if you were cool and you treated people well and people respect you, uh, if you were a dick and and they don't respect you, there's kind of two paths, right? It, it feels like the common thread here because I was going to ask, you know, for people who are listening, uh, a lot of our listeners, you know, you you mentioned insiders, and I feel like that is a, a term uh, that's often used by people who want to be what they believe would be inside the business. Once once you get what they feel would be inside, you realize it's there's not a door you enter. It's just a matter of relationships and knowing people, and that seems to be the common thread. If there's someone out there listening who wants to get, quote-unquote, inside this industry, whether it's sports or entertainment, is that your recommendation? The number one thing is just start building relationships, talking to people, getting weed for the bass player of, of Smokey Robinson. Who knows? Like, no, what, I don't, what is your I don't recommendation recommend that. Well, that's no, legal <laughs> now. But, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. <laughs> what, what would it be to take that first step to start building those relationships? Do you have any insight there? I, I, I don't really. I just think that if you have something that you want to do, find the place that you want to do it at and figure out a way to get in. Get get Send them a pizza with with a picture of your face on the box in your resume, do something yeah. creative to get people's attention, right? Stand I, out somehow. I, I just think that if, if you want to be in the insurance business, figure out a way to get to the top of the, the insurance pyramid and talk to the person and get some insight and, you know, get their attention. It's a lot easier now because of all the different channels that are available right. uh, digitally. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you're creative, it's still a, I think it's still important for you to show that creativity. 
For sure. And now, Dad, you mentioned, you know, reaching out and, and, and how good of a, a guest Joey would be on the podcast, which makes sense because as, as the listeners are already aware, ever, having listened to 40 minutes or so of this podcast, you have a ton of stories. We got into a lot of them about the All-Star game. We can go into uh, tenfold more. Like, there, there are a ton. Now, stories in general is something that in this in this industry, having worked as long as you have in the in the world of entertainment and sports, uh, you've developed a ton of stories. And uh, for a time, you were having people on on your your radio shows to ask them about the stories. But more recently, you've been involved in telling other people's stories in the form of of, of books and and movies. Uh, uh, who the fuck is Arthur Fogel being one of them that you had some involvement in as well. You were also involved or accredited at least in in the book The Heroin Diaries written by Nikki Six of, of Motley Crue and Ian Gittins. Um, is that something that you plan on doing more of, you know, getting involved in telling other people's stories, uh, tidbits from the industry, from your perspective? What what do you think you have to offer there? And is, is that something that we can expect more of from you? No, those were... I mean, you know, the Arthur movie was just, they asked me to be in it and I've known him for a long time and his career resume speaks for itself. And I, I was in the movie and then there was the, we, you know, there was a triumph documentary that was done and I was in that as well and helped a little bit on that. And if it's my friends and they asked me to do something, sure. But no, that's not something that I'm going to be exploring. I, you know, Nikki six, I've known him since I was 20 years old and and he asked me to be in the book because he remembered something happened in Toronto and he didn't remember. And then when I told him, he was like, oh, my God, that's a great story. Well, can, you know, can you talk to the guy that's helping me write the book? So so I did. But if the occasion arises where it's where it makes sense, then sure. But it's not something I'm going to go out of my way to do. That's for sure. Right. Well, who the fuck is Arthur Fogel was a great story for Frameworth. And Joey had a little uh, well, nice part in that. Um because I just saw that on HBO documentary I was watching and, and I saw Joey, but I also saw a good friend of mine and happened to be a good friend of Joe. Well, Joey knows everybody anyway. Uh, Craig Evans, who was very involved with you two at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And so we, we talked and we, we got in touch with Craig uh, who is with live nation and ran the tours. And from that, uh, we created the VIP gifting for three of U2's right. next tours, right. which were, I think we did uh, probably over 125,000 VIP books, which is we talked about in the show Shipping before. Shipping all across and the world. Joey was involved in that at the beginning and, and um, kept us in touch with other other bands as well. We've done Madonna, Madonna U2, Black Collins. Sabbath, and then we got into some sports books. But again, Joey has his hand in so many different things and thanks for that i feel like you're almost at a point now where you can kind of just sit back and reap the benefits of the relationships that you've so uh uh expertly curated over Mm -hmm. the course of your career uh you know are you going to seek out writing a book no but it's likely that more books and movies are going to come your way and as you said that's a result of treating people the right way over the course of your career so much so you've been asked uh in in april uh and april 19th to the 23rd of uh, 2022 you'll be a speaker at the canadian music week and is 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 there anything about that that interests you or strikes you as something that you want to promote a little bit? What can someone expect if, if they're going to be uh, coming and taking part in that? Mm, I mean, that's so far ahead, to be quite honest <laughs> with you. I mean, I just do it because Neil Dixon, the guy who runs it, is a friend. And, I'm, you know, we like I like to help younger people try and figure out their path. So sure. that that's really why I do it. Well, let's get some feedback on Joey's coffee table book with all the... I'll tell you what, Joey and I are very similar in nature. I don't think I've thrown any ticket from any concert (laughs) that I've ever been to, and this is going back 
I don't know, 50 years or so, uh, Elton John's first concert in Maple Leaf Gardens and that type of thing. But I've had those tickets. And what's interesting about backstage passes, tickets, not that I have a lot of backstage passes, but tickets and programs and all that stuff, is when you look at them and you see what a concert ticket was back then for the best seats in the house at $7.50. Yeah, yeah. And, And so... The history behind that is something we got to put together at some point because just flipping through pages, oh, yeah. you don't need a lot of text. Maybe if the odd story no, no, here, no, just pictures and stuff, but, and yeah, the odd story. But it's, well, we yeah, get a little so. bit of time. We'll put that together. Well, okay. it looks like we're running out of uh, a little bit of time here, Joey. Really appreciate uh, uh, you taking the time to talk to us. Anything else that you're working on or want to promote uh, at this time? No, everything else good, man. Awesome. Well, uh, uh, keep an eye out for the eventual biography uh, of Joey Scaleri, Joey Vendetta, uh, written uh, maybe in part by Frameworth. Who knows? We may be involved in that. So publishing division. Yes, there you go. Exactly. Uh, uh, Once again, Joey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You can catch him at Canadian Music Week, April 19th to the 23rd of 2022. For Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, this has been the Sign Off Podcast, and this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey. Or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey. Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!